Hello, everybody, and welcome to another interview here with Marketing Management and Money. Uh, I am your host, Ryan Murray, and today our guest is Jeroen Korthout. Jeroen is actually with us with SalesFlare, and we're really excited to have him on the show today because SalesFlare has actually made a pretty remarkable impact in a very crowded space when you uh, start looking at a lot of uh, sales, uh, sales tools for small businesses. And so one of the things that we really like about what Jeroen has done with his company is he's been able to, as a small business, practice what he preaches. He's been able to really get in and make a difference for his company, but also make a difference for a lot of small businesses out there. And so, uh, Jeroen, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and let people know where you come from, and then we'll kind of dive into a little bit of your story. Hi, everyone. First of all, I'm Jeroen uh, Korthout, co-founder and CEO of Salesforce. Um, my background is quite varied. So um, I'm a biomedical engineer by education. Uh, I studied business school after that. I went into marketing in, uh, in pharma company. Then I went to do, into a marketing consultancy, which was focused on uh, helping pharma company, companies um, becoming digital more in their in their business side, so marketing, sales, CRM, all this kind of stuff. Um, I had a bunch of uh, startup projects. I always knew I wanted to start my own company. When I was young, I uh, I built websites for other people, like when I was 15, 16. Um, and Salesforce is my first um, successful company, you could say. So, so let, let me let me jump in. Okay, we're, we're going to cover a lot of story here, and so we're going to kind of piece this thing together as we go throughout this interview, and you're going to have to forgive me that I'm going to, I'm going to cut in with a lot of questions because I really am uh, intrigued with the story that you have. But the first thing that I want to kick off with is you, uh, you said it's my first successful company. A lot of entrepreneurs, they get a little bit downtrodden on themselves that it takes a while to, to hit success. Uh, and, and I would say clearly that, that you've hit success. Uh, I, I believe you, you have uh, something like you're servicing over 2,000 businesses currently uh, with Salesflare, mm-hmm. uh, and that number is, uh, is growing pretty rapidly uh, in a crowded competitive space. Uh, you know, so I mean, it's, it's, it's very impressive what, uh, you know, what you guys are accomplishing. Uh, but how many attempts did it take you before you were really uh, on the right track? Uh, you know, I mean, how, how, how long was, was this, this process for you to kind of get into that rhythm, to get where you were actually able to service a large amount of customers to actually grow a successful company? You mean uh, the amount of projects or businesses before sales? Yeah, or? yeah, exactly. It all depends where you, of course, <laughs> put the limits uh, I was like building stuff and, and yeah, I, I would say that the first actual project probably was uh, trying to start a web design business. I, it never really became a real web design business because when summer was over, then I had a lot of schoolwork again. Um, but uh, that was probably the first thing that I dreamed of. Um, I had this business, well, sort of a business. I was, I was buying phones uh, in mainly the UK and Germany and then selling them here in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a s- sort of secondhand cell phone business. I, I had that from when I was in, in secondary school. Uh, throughout university, I was, it was a sort of a hobby also. 
And very often also the cell phones would, uh, if they were nice, they would stay with me uh, instead of being resold. Which meant that I was <laughs> upgrading my phone uh, a whole lot. Then I tried a bunch of stuff when I entered that pharma company, which is Baxter. Um, I, I immediately hated the job because it was so limited. It mm -hmm. didn't give me a lot of space. So immediately I, I was thinking up lots of stuff with, uh, with friends uh, but we never really, really started something. The first thing I actually started, um, that was when I was a marketing consultant. Mm -hmm. I um, started an online medical journal, you could say, for doctors. Not really like that, more like a feed reader for okay. them to follow the latest research. Like you could, you could say, these are my interests. Uh, I only want to see significant things across all the journals uh, and that way I stay up to date on, my, on the research. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I started a company for that because I started that within the Founder Institute. And uh, to graduate from the Founder Institute, you had to have the full company entity and everything set up. Okay. Um, it, it didn't work out because I, um, I sort of ignored finding a proper business model. That was an afterthought. And here in Europe, and I think in most of the world, uh, a business model cannot be an afterthought. The only place where uh, that that is possible is probably uh, Silicon Valley. Um, <laughs> there you can just start a business without caring how you're ever going to make money and people will throw money in it. But the rest of the world works differently. Um, that was, you know, uh, something I learned. And then... Um, after that, I had a sort of, I, 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 it started going downhill. And at some point, I got really excited for some reason by uh, creating a website for the, um, the World Cup in Brazil to help people uh, organize their trip around the, the matches they were going to um, go to. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife helped me. She's, she's Brazilian, so she knows a lot of stuff. And I did a lot of research. That helped me to create uh, a website which, which actively helped people to... Like, uh, okay, you're going to see these matches, then you can do that and that. And this is how you book the flights and advice on, you know, uh, hotels work like that in Brazil and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, the thing, the mistake I made there is that it wasn't really uh, set up to be a long-term business because as you can imagine, uh, my website was busy for a while until the World Cup in Brazil happened. And then, well, you know, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, during during the, the time leading up to it, I did make some money on uh, on affiliate deals. Quite a lot of people uh, booked flights through through the the links that I had set out, which, uh -huh. which was a success. But then it was over. Um, I co-started a business, co-founded a business uh, from a, a startup weekend. Okay. Uh, as I said, I'm a, I'm a biomedical engineer uh -huh. and I always wanted to start something in health tech. Uh, now I'm sort of wondering whether I'm ever going to do that because uh, it's, it's really nice to do something in health tech, but it's also really uh, slow and boring in a way because you're, uh, you're pushed back by tons of regulations. Uh, so it's not, it's not very easy to do something quickly nor be creative. Um, unless you think that uh, a lot of rules make you more creative, perhaps. Um, <laughs> um, but I went to a, a health startup weekend, which was uh, the first of its kind in, uh, in Belgium. Mm. And we devised a company that was going to help uh, nurses follow up people with pacemakers in a better way. 
through one dashboard that would unite all the different um, dashboards they had to go through because every, every manufacturer has a different dashboard and sure. works differently and following the alerts and stuff they got was horrible. Um, we actually won the, the startup weekend with that company. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some government entities and accelerators involved and we quickly uh, even raised funding uh, for that uh, company. Um, we got accepted into um, an accelerator. We got 50K and everything. And then things got serious. Um, and the problem there was we were just a bunch of guys who had met each other at a startup weekend. We all had jobs. There was very little commitment. We had 50K. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that was sort of, <laughs> sort of it. Um, what happened in the end is I was probably the first or the second one to say that I was not going to continue. Like I had a list of, of things I wanted to do at that point. And this, uh, I, at some point I made a list and I was like, okay, scrap this, scrap that. And, uh, I felt like that was going to go nowhere. Um, so I scrapped it from my list and I, and I signed all the papers. Like I'm not in this company anymore done mm-hmm. uh, by now that company has raised uh, many millions um it's so, basically so the do, you, CEO. do you regret that decision no not so much uh but it's funny to mention <laughs> <laughs> no i i'm happy i'm not working on that but but uh but but still you know um i i could have not signed these papers and then they could have raised millions and then I could have been like, oh, cool. <laughs> no. Um, and then um, from there, I started working. Actually, this is where, where Salesforce started. Um, at some point, um, I, in, in the Founder Institute, when I started one of these other things, mm-hmm. um, I met my co-founder. He was working on his company. I was working on mine, but we helped each other. We were sort of in the same group. Mm-hmm. So we helped each other a lot with doing that. Um, he calls me like one and a half years later or something. Uh, and he says, I'm going to Vegas in a few weeks. Um, it's not for what you think. It was not for gambling. <laughs> it was because he had a booth at a big IBM conference. And um he uh, was going to sell his software there. He had a software company. Uh, it was basically compatible with, with IBM software. So that made sense. Okay. And he said, I, I, I still need a sales guy. And he wondered whether I was interested in joining. Uh, they would pay all the costs. We would go to Vegas. I would obviously be selling there. And then we could have fun next to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, yes. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We had an enormous amount of leads as well. And we got so excited that um, we started working together. Okay. And um, it, it is when we were trying to organize everything around that, like we had, I think, 130 leads that were interested in buying our software. We just had to close the deals, you know, just had to, <laughs> in um, uh, air quotes. Um but the, the issue was that it's, it was a lot of work to follow these people up and get them to buy, especially because um, they were business intelligence uh, people uh-huh. and they are very slow at acting on things. Mm-hmm. They're like the kind of people that say like, oh, yes, yes, it's very interesting, but I'm currently working on a project. So let's connect again in six to nine months or something. <laughs> um, 
And while we were trying to organize that volume of leads that needed a lot of follow-up, uh, clearly, we didn't really find any system that uh, worked for us. Um, this is normally something that a CRM system solves, right? Mm -hmm. Right. What they're uh, supposedly made for. But what we found is that any CRM system that we tried didn't work for us because not because it was not built for this reason and it was a nice software or whatever, um, but because the software was built with the expectation that we were going to fill it out diligently. Um, every single thing we would do, we would put in the CRM. Every time somebody new came into conversation, we would put that in. Every piece of detail that would share with us, uh, if, if, if they send an email back with an email signature, you know, see, you see, oh, there's a phone number. Blah, you enthusiastically put in the CRM or you probably don't. Um, we found that it, it required so much discipline and work and energy time that we just couldn't. Mm -hmm. And then we figured like, why does it work like that? And why actually, if all that information that you're inputting into the CRM is already digital in some other system, why are we still basically copying um, mm. data over constantly? Right. Uh, and then in our minds, we saw this, this magic system that would uh, connect to our emails and our calendar and our phone and social media and company databases and tracking, and it would pull all the data together, organize it for us, it out and we would just have to do some clicks and it would be there and it would help us follow up uh that was uh i think about exactly seven years ago um the idea we had in mind and that's where uh, salesforce began man so you covered a lot of information and i loved it because it shows the reality of entrepreneurship and that's what I loved most about it. You know, you're talking about your process. And, you know, so we work with all types of businesses and, uh, you know, been doing this for well over a decade, just kind of sitting down with these businesses and seeing, you know, what they do, what their challenges are, what their struggles are. And we see some of these similar patterns. And one of these patterns that I'm so glad that you touched on is just the, uh, you know, we, we always say that the overnight success takes years, uh, but people just don't notice it until all of a sudden someone's successful. And so as you're explaining your process and you're like, you know, started with this, it kind of pivoted over to, to this. And then finally I met my partner and then we tried this. And then, you know, we had, you know, this issue that we were coming up with. And, and, and so this is such a, a common process for entrepreneurs is that as you start swimming in those waters, that's when you start noticing things. That's when, you know, because the opportunity that you had for Salesflare really came out of your own frustration of not yeah. being able to solve your own business, you know, challenge. And so you looked at that and you're just like, look, if this is bothering me, it's probably bothering a lot of other people. And 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 boom, you now have a market demand because, you know, you've got you've got a target market, you, and you know all about you. And so it's easy to identify the needs of that target market. So I I really really like that uh, that introduction. Um I kind of want to jump into and one of the things I'm going to pull back here for just a second 
Uh, some of our listeners might not be familiar when we say CRM, uh, you know, client relation management software. So basically, this is where, you know, you're going to use some sort of software to keep track of all of your leads, uh, you know, your sales funnel, and you're going to basically use this to to manage how, you know, how you deal with your clients, right? And so with that, you've come up with this sales flare process. Will you take a minute and kind of explain what is Salesflare? And I mean, you, you started touching on some of the problems that it solves, you know, the uh, having to manually port over data. Um, you know, anytime you do something manual, there's uh, opportunity for error. It's time consuming. Uh, you know, it uh, requires a, a high level of discipline that most entrepreneurs are just like, you know what? I can't keep up on all of this. And so uh, so you kind of touched on some of the problems uh, that are common out there. But I want to get a little bit more specific into, you know, the Salesflare tool, what it was that you guys were really trying to solve, um, and, and, and talk a little bit about that journey uh, that, that you had in, in your business and in, you know, in entrepreneurship for you. Yeah, the, I, I think the core issue that we're trying to, to solve and, and still are working on is um, this CRM systems like custom relationship management systems, are, which are devised for you to manage custom relationships, uh, which for a lot of our customers means following up customers and leads, uh, even if they're not customers yet, uh, in a good way with all the necessary information on the right base, uh, you know. Um, this very often does not work. And if you're going to be interviewing um, salespeople and you mentioned the word CRM, um, the chances are high that they, you get a negative reaction mm-hmm. to that uh, uh, acronym. Because for them, it's basically a system that doesn't help them. It, people say it, it should help them, but, but in reality, it doesn't really. Um, secondly, they're um, putting an enormous amount of work in it um, in something that doesn't help them, right? And third, uh, a side effect is that their manager looks over their shoulder all the time, which most salespeople also don't really like. Oh, yeah. Uh, so add these things up and they're like, oh, that thing. Um, and that's sort of uh, taken as a given by most people. Um, and that relationship between salespeople and CRMs, I, I remember I was doing customer interviews uh, seven years ago, uh, lots of different people. And the most common reaction I would get was like, yeah, I mean, CRMs, they're there to help you. Uh, if salespeople don't see it, that's because, you know, they're just lazy. And the only solution there is to force them to fill it out. Um, a good thing for is uh, making their bonus dependent on it or just firing them. I would just fire them. I remember one guy said, oh, I just fired him. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then I would say like, but, you know, maybe the software could be better. And they're like, no, it's not the software. The software <laughs> cannot be improved. It's the salespeople. <laughs> they're just lazy. And we just felt that that was wrong. Um, we, we've, we've, I mean, maybe we were lazy uh, and maybe that's why we started this, but 
we just felt that it's, it could be done in a better way. That the expectations that have been created um, when building these systems were outdated. Mm-hmm. Because imagine uh, the history of these systems is uh, at some point you had these sheets, uh, customer sheets, which you had like in a drawer and you would pull them out. Right. And then you would have all the details about a customer. Uh, their address and who you knew there and what they ordered. I don't know, whatever you wanted to have on your sheet. And then at some point, you also has that Rolodexes where mm-hmm. you had, uh, it was basically like an address book that you could flip through very quickly. Yep, sticking uh, your business um, cards onto it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then computers uh, came in there and then uh, there were these big companies that would help other big companies uh, to organize their databases. So you had the, the oracles and the SAPs of this world uh, popping up. And then um, there was Salesforce, let's say. I'm, I'm probably omitting steps here, but there was Salesforce who said, okay, this is great. You have all these databases built in, uh, in all these different companies, but it's really hard to maintain and really hard to update. And, and you need enormous amounts of people to do that. What if we just bring it into the cloud, which basically means we put it on uh, on some server somewhere that everybody can access, mm-hmm. and we just have to update that server. Everybody just logs into that with their different accounts. Uh, we'll make sure it's updated. You know, it's software as a service. Super cool. Um, <laughs> and so we ba- basically took that to the cloud. Also updated the interface while doing that, so it looks more modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, it's still sort of the same system um, that was initially built for small businesses. And then uh, because there was m- way more money in enterprises, Salesforce started going from a, from a system, which was simple and practical to something that actually became, um, became a, a sort of set of building blocks you would buy, um, which isn't, really ready for you and isn't really built for ease of use or anything. It's really built for uh, consultants being able to uh, create anything you like uh, for your enterprise. So it can perfectly map on your organizational workflows and structure and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, which is exactly fit for enterprises, but leaves a huge gap for small businesses because that's not what small businesses are looking for. Small businesses are looking for something that works, that gives them practical value uh, quickly, and they'll map their processes a bit around the systems they use instead of the other way around. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they take something off the shelf that works well for, for, for that purpose. Um, other companies started coming in, uh, like, like Pipedrive and HubSpot, filling that gap. Um, and then uh, that's actually the moment that, 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 we, that we started. We figured like, okay, this is all great. Uh, these systems are more practical. Uh, they're more built for small businesses, but there's still this huge gap where uh, they come with these expectations that have been created very long ago, uh, which is that they're, they're always going to be neatly uh, filled out manually by salespeople, which had been made easier over time mm-hmm. uh, and quicker, and the interface is prettier, and you know what? Uh, but but still, you had you, you had to do it. Um, so that's uh, where we fit in. We create basically, uh, if you want to uh, uh, place it very neatly, a sales CRM. So a CRM focused on sales for small and medium-sized businesses who sell B2B 
Um, and in reality, uh, that's mainly agencies, like marketing agencies and software development companies and consultancies and all that, mm-hmm. and tech startups and, and, and scale-ups and companies like telcos also. Um, mainly because these two groups uh, know a bit more about technology and look a bit further than the first um, Google result when they type CRM. Uh, that's that's the main reason why I have so many of those on the software. Well, and okay, so this is something that I want to talk to you about because this is uh, th- I find this fascinating with your you know with your story, and that is having you know having worked with a lot of businesses, seeing that they all have kind of their process that they used. It's very fragmented. Like there's not. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Salesforce, and they're they're kind of a dominant player, but you've got so many different options. And one of the challenges that uh, that I've seen is that the landscape is highly competitive. And, and I'm really, really curious to hear how you, and, and not just from a CRM perspective, uh, because the thing that's really neat about this is you jumped into a highly competitive space and were able to be successful. And, you know, so for our listeners out there, maybe you're not debating on, okay, what do I need to do to get my CRM up to speed? Or do I have the right software applications that I'm using for my business? You know, maybe those aren't the decisions that you're trying to make today, but there are a lot of industries that are highly, highly competitive. You know, I, I picture like the, the restaurant space is very competitive. A lot of the retails, e-commerce, you know, all, all of these types of businesses, they are also in a very high competition zone. And uh-huh. it's difficult as a small business to carve out your niche, especially when you go up against some of these really big players. And, and this is exactly what you did. And so, you know, would you kind of talk a little bit about uh, overcoming some of the competition? What were some of the uh, strategies that you guys employed? Uh, what were some of the things that made it possible for you to be successful and growing in a highly competitive environment? It's not like you just had one little niche and you got lucky and then you're just like, oh, cool, that's where we are and that's where we're going to sit. You know, I mean, there's, there, there, there's growth that's happening here. So, yeah, talk about the, the competitive environment and, and how you're able to, uh, to win in that space. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, first of all, it's, it definitely isn't easy uh, to work in such a competitive space and uh, we often wish it, would, it, it was easier. <laughs> Um, like the, the, the wet dream of a venture capitalist is that, uh, you find this niche and there's nobody else. And then you just throw money at you and you grow quicker than anybody else and you <laughs> capture it fully and done. Um, when they look, when, when we, we've approached them and we've brought some of them in the past, they're like, okay, but you're in the CRM space. That's, that's like played. Uh, we're not going to put money in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to uh, paint the picture a bit for the listeners, uh, uh, CRM is the the biggest enterprise software market in the world. It's the uh, and not because we built it, but it's the it's the most important software you have in your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one with which you manage your customers, so people throw the most money at it. Uh, that's logical i would say and then the, the second market for those interested is, is business intelligence software it's like pulling data out of your company and visualizing and all that mm-hmm, right and there's lots of other software categories 
But if within that space, if you just go look on g2.com, uh, which is a leading software review site for B2B, um, there's, I think, over 650 CRMs uh, on, listed on there now. Oh Most of them. You have a lot of choice. Um, many of those, of course, um, serve slightly different purposes and slightly different markets. Uh, but many of them are sort of the same thing. Um, the only reason why we started is because we believed we could do something radically different. Otherwise, uh, and maybe because we were slightly naive as well. Um, but otherwise, we would never have started, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we thought like all these others don't work. We're going to fix that. Boom. Uh, now, in the end, it is not that uh, easy. Um, because regardless of uh, the amount of difference we make, uh, we have way less resources than many other players. So one issue is a fragmentation, but another issue is also how big some of these other companies are and and also how much they earn per customer. Uh And that is another issue. Uh, So imagine some of our competitors are uh, publicly listed. Uh, Others have raised tens of millions which means they have significant resources uh, to deploy when it comes to um, attracting traffic, building a brand, uh, developing the product. Although they're 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 very often slower at that, but it's mainly in the in the building the brand's name and getting that traffic when people are uh, looking for them. Um, some of our competitors also, like HubSpot, for instance, they earn ten times more per customer per year than we do. Uh, and that's mainly because they, uh, they upsell you on all kinds of stuff and mm-hmm. they charge way more than you'd ever expect just for, for the premise that you're going to have everything in one place. Um, that works for them. But that also then means that they can uh, spend 10 times more on uh, customer acquisition. Uh-huh. Uh, so if, if we pay a certain amount on an ad, they can say like, oh, we paid 10 times more. Mm-hmm. Uh, See, so that's that's an issue, um, which means that for us, the easy channels that a venture capitalist uh, would um, would want you to put money in, uh, that doesn't work for us. Uh, like the venture capitalist model is usually like, okay, we give you X million, uh, you throw it into ads in Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, this creates traffic. You get users. You get revenue, we pump up your valuation and somebody else throws more money at it. That doesn't work in our case. Mm-hmm. Um, Which so the I, way- would, I would say that doesn't work for a lot of small businesses. And, you know, like True. that is a model, but it's not it's not a common model for most entrepreneurs. And that's that's a, a very good remark because um, I think almost every company that joins a startup accelerator nowadays expects to raise venture money, even even if somebody looks at it logically and says, well, this doesn't make sense at all. These startup founders will think they have to talk to VCs because, uh, and I think that's uh, because when you read in the press nowadays, uh, the only thing you read about is people raising money. Anything else, the tech press does not find interesting anymore. Like right. even launching a new product that used to be something that would be covered in a tech press uh, at some point. 
there's probably too much of that. I don't know. But they stopped covering that. The mm-hmm. only thing is like this company raised that much money and that company raised that much money and that. And then you start feeling like a startup founder, like, okay, so that's what success is. We need to raise money. Yeah. Well, it's it's not a goal by itself, of course. But eh. No, no, I think discussion. I, I think that's a great, a great distinction. Um, and I know that we're kind of on a little bit of a tangent here for a second, but I do just want to uh, reiterate some of the things that you said because so many of our listeners, you know, we we like to on this show focus on what we consider, you know, real entrepreneurship, authentic entrepreneurship. And it it's kind of like if you watched, uh, you know, a show like The Bachelor and thought that that was how, you know, you would go and date, uh, you, you would have this very skewed perception of what, you know, what, what having a relationship would actually be like. And that's what happens in entrepreneurship is, you know, we get sucked into this VC world to this shark tank world and we start thinking, oh, well, I guess that's what entrepreneurship looks like. And I'm like, mm, no, that's, that's actually what. TV looks like. And, you know, entrepreneurship is is a lot more authentic. It's a lot more in the trenches. It's a lot more making, you know, the decisions, the day-to-day decisions. And, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, I appreciate you talking about that. And I'm going to let you jump back in and, and kind of keep going with that because, you know, that's exactly what's happening here is this is, this is real. This is authentic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'll go back to your initial question, which was, uh, how do you guys then compete mm-hmm. uh, in such a busy space? Um, we try to, first of all, really focus on our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, that is probably the essence of it. Um, but that means lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're wondering how we acquire customers, um, most of it is actually um, through word of mouth. So it's customers telling other people mm-hmm. um, about what they're using. Uh, I don't know whether these other people ask for it or they, they say it anyway, but you know, it's people telling other people. Then secondly, um, it's people um, searching for the right solution and finding us most of the times on a review site uh, where we get a lot of good reviews from our customers again. Um, or it might be on blogs. Uh, many of these blogs are also because of customers or because people read on review sites. So it's all connected. And then third, it's, um, it's content marketing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. content we create that is related to what we do. Um, we try to stand out there uh, by creating quality content which is very easy nowadays because so much content out there is not quality. Um, the, the, simple, um, the simple secret there, uh, I'll reveal it, is to have content be written by people who actually know the subject. Maybe I'd be crazy, but I, I'm laughing because like everything you're saying is so fundamental and forgotten. You know, it's it it it's like just I uh, I, I I was thinking um, I I coach my son's soccer team, and uh-huh. um, you know I we were sitting down at practice uh, yesterday, and I just told him I said, look. If you guys want to win, 
you have to condition. You've got to be in shape because I I don't care how good you are. If you can't last the entire match, then, you know, we can, we can win the first three quarters of the game and completely lose it in the last, you know, 10 minutes. Like it, and, and, and as you're talking about business and you're like, have someone who actually knows what they're talking about be the person to write that. It seems so obvious, but in a world where everyone's looking for the shortcut, everyone's looking for, oh, I could just have this person, you know, I'm going to get on Fiverr and they're going to, you know, they're going to take care of it for me. I'm like, and there's nothing wrong with Fiverr. I've used it before. Um, but like Fiverr, Upwork, these types of sites, is this the person that you really want being the voice of your business? And at some point, you got you to gotta have some, you know, content expertise. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I want to go on another tangent here. Mm-hmm. Is what you said there about uh, what you advise your son to do um, is actually, if I would write a book on entrepreneurship on how to do it well, my first chapter would probably be like sleep well, eat well, exercise, uh, because that <laughs> defines so much of your productivity. Uh, uh-huh. That defines um, the quality of your work, the amount of work you can do in a day. Uh, the quality of your life in general mm-hmm. uh, that matters. Um, but that's, that is so essential. And there is this feeling in startups. I remember at some point we were in an incubator and there was this, this guy from another startup and he was saying, you guys are already going home. Is this startup life? Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you need to hustle all day long and not sleep and drink <laughs> Red Bull and I don't know. No? That's that's not sustainable, right? Uh-huh. Then then it's a bit like 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 what you what you said to your son. Um, that works maybe for uh, a few days or for a few weeks, maybe months. I don't know. Um, but entrepreneurship is not about days or weeks or months. Uh-huh. Uh, we're seven years into this. Uh, and we keep going. Uh, it's it's more of a marathon than it is a sprint. Yeah, and absolutely. You need to be able to keep that pace. Plus, uh, don't forget that entrepreneurship comes with a lot of ups and downs. And for instance, if you don't properly sleep, it's very hard to manage your emotions. They're more likely to go wild. Um, at so at a bad just... time, you know, you're with a key customer, and all of a sudden. I mean, I I sat in on a business meeting where the uh, the sale was lost, and found out later that the guy who was pitching uh, he was going through a pretty rough divorce, and he wasn't in the right headspace. And I'm thinking, why did you send this guy in when his mind wasn't there? And he was he was very court or curt and abrasive with uh, mm-hmm. you know with the people that he was trying to sell to. And it was it was pretty obvious that, that that pitch didn't go well. And I'm like, yeah, he wasn't in the right headspace. He had other things in his life that were, you know, interfering. Yeah. On what track were we again? Oh, content marketing. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> yeah, content marketing. Now, now what I said is is have have content be written by somebody who knows the the subject. Mm-hmm. I also learned this by uh, by by making the mistake, obviously. Uh, and by spending a lot of time trying to have someone who doesn't know the topic uh, write something that makes sense mm-hmm. and then that, that not working and then thinking like, oh, maybe this is not the right strategy. 
Um, the main issue with content marketing nowadays uh, is that it's written by copywriters and these copywriters don't necessarily know the topic. So what they do is they Google a bit around uh, to find out what they're going to write about. And what they then actually find is something that another copywriter wrote that doesn't really know the topic. So it just intensifies itself and fluff becomes more fluffy. Uh -huh. um, and then the whole internet is filled with uh, terribly superficial stuff, uh, which doesn't really help you when you're Googling. You're like, oh, is some, somebody says something fluffy. <laughs> um, so it's really easy to stand out there. Um, if you want to create something that actually helps people and actually hits the truth, uh, you just need to find someone who is, you don't even need to be an, an, a great expert or anything. Uh, just not being a copywriter who researched what the others wrote, this is already something. Mm -hmm. uh, so for instance, we've, uh, for a while, we've done these master classes which basically meant that we would uh, deepen out a, a specific topic. And for instance, one of those um, was about startup funding. And I have a friend of mine who, who uh, used to be an M&A at a big investment bank. And then he was uh, in a venture fund as well. Mm -hmm. And you know, he knows a topic. Uh, he, he might not be the best writer out there, but that's solvable, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would also then research the topic uh, uh, like turn it into different pieces, sort of give outlines for the pieces based on uh, SEO research. Like what is it that people expect when they're, um, when they're researching this topic? Um, you know, it's all these kind of basic things you do. I'm not going to explain that all, but, and then you give that to someone who can actually um, write meaningful stuff. That person writes it. And then, then you can still have, have it corrected. Right. But mm -hmm. that's not uh, as long as it's, it's good content and it's clear writing, then the rest is just, it's, it's simple. And then you can still have a copywriter fix it if you like. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the fact that you, uh, you expect that copywriters are going to uh, know everything is just, uh, it's just wrong. So that simple trick uh, can, uh, can solve a lot. Um, and then it's, Another uh, mistake that a lot of people make is they think that um, you need to create a lot of content, which is, which is true. You cannot just make 10 blog posts and then and call it a day, but uh, quality is still more important there than, than quantity. It's, it's better to uh, write um, 50 great posts than, uh, than 400 medium, like, once I think 50 with 50, you can, you could achieve a ton. Um, and if you want to have some sort of frequency of content, you can also reuse these posts. And uh, because another thing that people think is like, you uh, create something once you post it once, and then that's it. You cannot post it again. That's not true because people will not even notice uh, if you repost something three months later, six months later, 12 months later, mm -hmm. I think three months is probably the, the lower limit there. Um, but you can, you can have content circulate uh, over and over again. Uh, you're probably the only one who will notice. Um, I had someone say this morning to me, 
he noticed that a blog we had just published was written by someone who doesn't work for us for four years anymore. And he says, that's genius. You're, you're reusing content. And he's following us for uh, years already. And it's the first time he noticed. Just to, <laughs> just to tell you like how, how little people notice this. And it means that your content can bring so much more value over time. Plus, um, as you re-promote content, uh, you will keep, you, you keep driving traffic to it. Google likes it, Google sees it, gets traffic. Uh, it also might amass some more backlinks over time. Mm -hmm. It's good to update it also when you re-promote it, if stuff is not up to date anymore and all that. And that just means that everything stays alive. And this in the end will, will actually have a positive uh, SEO impact as well, uh, which will mean that it, it starts attracting more and more traffic and your blog will grow, you get more traffic, you get more leads, uh, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Tons of great insight. I love it. I love it. Uh, we are going to need to wrap up here in just a minute, but uh, I've got one key question that I'm hoping that you could kind of uh, use to, to, to cap off some of this discussion. And that is you've been through a, uh, you, you've been through a, quite a process with Salesflare. Uh, you know, it, it took you a lot to even identify the problem and then trying to solve the problem. Now trying to get your message out to everybody so that they know that this is a solution. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's been a very long road. You, you did mention you've been at this seven years, but that's only directly. I mean, indirectly, you've been at this for years longer. And I, I guess what I want to know is, is it worth it? Would you recommend it to others? There's a lot of listeners here who they are either debating if they want to get into entrepreneurship or maybe they're on kind of the front end of it and thinking to themselves, is this really the path that I want to go down? Or we've got listeners who have been at it for quite some time and they're not experiencing the success that you've seen and they're kind of debating like do i hang on do i keep going what what's your advice to people who are looking at okay do i jump into entrepreneurship is it worth the headache is it worth the fatigue is it worth the stress um you know is this something that that i should be doing i think that highly depends on what motivates you um I would, I would first of all say don't do it for the money. Um, I probably would have earned more, uh, at least we'll, we'll, we'll see how this pans out. But uh, um, if I would have stayed a consultant, I was a very well-paid consultant. Mm -hmm. would invoice a lot of money every day. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very sure income as well. I was selling to pharma companies. Oh, yeah. Tons of money. They don't know anything I, they don't know what to do with it. And we were helping to be digital and they had no idea how to do that. So it was, it was, it was great business, um, at least from a financial perspective. Um, what attracts me so much in having a, a building a startup company uh, is the building aspect uh, there. I like to um, create something out of nothing on a continuous basis. So that means like uh, creating a team, seeing people develop, uh, even if they don't stay with the company, like seeing like oh, it meant something in their lives. 
creating a, a, a product mm -hmm. which you see growing from just an idea to something crappy that nobody wants to use to something that people consider using to people something that people consider paying for to um, something that tens of people uh, pay for and then tens of companies hundreds of companies thousands of companies having a bit operate on our review sites you know we see it growing throughout the whole journey and every time you can deliver a big new feature or even a small improvement it's it's really nice um seeing that customer base also develop uh with it and the impact you can have on all these companies um that's just really really nice and that really motivates me and gets me out of bed way more than being a consultant or or what i did before uh being a i was basically a product manager at a pharma company it was extremely boring um <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't fun. You, you, you seem to have uh, enough passion that uh, you're not going to settle for, you know, just punching the clock, doing the same old, same old. Uh, at, uh, I, I love it. I, I love the passion that you bring to, uh, to what you're creating. And, and that's, I think, if, that, if, if, if that's what you're expecting and that's what you're looking for, then it's a good idea to start a business. Um, if, if it's just because it's a hype or because you think it's going to make you a lot of money, then, then maybe that's not a great motivation because, well, the hype is obviously not a great motivation. Um, but the, the money, uh, it might not make you a lot of money. It will take you a lot of time to make that uh, money. <laughs> it, it's not like uh, Bitcoin or so. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want that, then you can better uh, research some good coins and whatever. But we're not going to go into Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to say also, um, and that ties back to the very beginning, is uh, if you want to start a company, you need to start something. Um, I actually, and we omitted that in the story earlier, I spent quite some time uh, thinking up the perfect startup. Um, and that's just something that I did for years i think you know you you keep thinking up ideas uh, but you never do anything um, they sometimes call it the entrepreneur uh, mm -hmm. mode um the key here is to get started uh, to do something and it might fail but then it leads you to something else and that leads you to something else you meet people along the way you see problems and at some point something uh meaningful will come out of there uh, but the, the danger is that you stay in some, um, uh, in standstill modes and it's very hard to get moving from when you're standing still. It's, it's much easier when you're already moving in some direction to change direction than it is to, 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 to get some velocity when yep. you're standing well, that's, it, I'm comparing with physics. Um, but, um, what else did I want to say? Another important thing there uh to leave you with is uh don't just uh make uh impulsive decisions either when you're doing that so don't just give up your job because you found the best startup idea ever uh that's terribly dumb as well uh because very likely it will fail and maybe the first idea will fail and the second might fail and the third might fail it's all possible and you, you, you might have a hope that it's not going to fail, but 
chances are high it will. Uh, so the best thing is to uh, take low risks, which means uh, not giving up your job, uh, maybe work after hours, uh, maybe go part-time if it's, if it's already worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, still keep your salary so you can pay stuff, but in the rest of the time you, you, you work on your thing. Uh, that might be a great idea. And then uh, at, next to that also, when you're building out that company, uh, don't invest a ton of money uh, of your savings in there. Um, try to do it on the cheap. Uh, try to spend the least amount possible and focus on validating things very cheaply. So your first job when you have this great idea is to find out whether it's really a great idea, which first means uh, talking to people who you think will find it a great idea and um, finding out who they are, what the context is, what problems they have, all those kind of things. And then, and then seeing whether the problem you see is really a problem and whether the solution you have in mind is the right solution or you might have to devise it differently. Um, and, uh, and then seeing whether they actually want to pay for it. That's uh, job number one. Wow. Tons of great information. I love it. Loved this interview. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Now, what about those people who are interested in learning more about Salesflare? Uh, how can they uh, find you? How can they find your company? Uh, you know, give us give us some contact information here, please. Yeah, if you want to have a CRM that actually works, you head to salesflare.com and Flare is with F-L-A-R-E. Um, and there you can you can read about the software. You can see it. I think currently you can, without signing up, you can already go through the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, then if you connect your emails, you get a trial which uh, lasts up to 30 days or even more. You begin with seven days, but then we give you extra days on the trial as you set it up further because we, we like to motivate people to set it up as well as possible because that makes it more successful in the long run. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can do that uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, you just take my name from the title of the episode, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, and you put that in. There's only one person with my name. Uh, you send me a connection request, but don't forget to add a personal message because if you don't add a personal message, I get a lot of spam every day and I will just assume it's spam. But if you add a personal message, I will uh, see that. I will connect with you and uh, we can have a chat. Okay, wonderful. So that's salesflare.com or on LinkedIn and uh, you can check out the, um, the information to get, uh, to get your own's name on the episode. It's going to be uh, in the title here. But again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, I, I felt like we covered a, a ton of topics. Great insight for our audience. Uh, you really hit the nail on the head. And so really appreciate you coming out and sharing your expertise. You're welcome. This was fun. Okay. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye. Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search marketing management and money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.